Hello, and welcome to HR Unplugged. In today's episode, Anita Grantham, head of HR, and myself, Vanessa Brulot, human resource business partner at Bamboo HR, discuss how to make employee onboarding a top priority. We'll discuss why onboarding is so critical to employee success, what most businesses miss in their onboarding programs, and how long onboarding should take to be effective. Thanks for tuning in. We hope you enjoy this week's episode. Okay, so yes, Vanessa's trying to focus us and I'm still on chocolate, fruit, and cookies. Um, so yes, job-specific training and onboarding is definitely the one that we're, we're most concerned about. So we're going to talk about it all today. Welcome, everybody. We're so glad to have you back for episode 19. I'm excited that Vanessa's back with us. Snaps and hearts and loves. We love Vanessa back here. So thanks, Vanessa, for coming back. We're talking today about how to make employee onboarding a top priority. You know, right now, not a lot of you are hiring. We're not hiring as much as we were last year either at Bamboo. But Vanessa and I actually have one new hire starting next week. And we were just reminiscing on the challenges of onboarding and making it count. We work so hard to go out and hire. So whether you get one hire or 10 this year, let's make it count. That's one of our values at Bamboo. And how do we do it? We work so hard to make the hire get to the to the offer stage and sign the offer. But then I think we have a lot of room for upgrade and how we get them to the finish. Look, I got new values cards, everybody. They're smaller. We're actually adding something special to it that I'll show you in a few weeks, but excited to get to making it count. So here's our few things to get started today. We invite you to visit us at hrunplugged.com where you can sign up and be invited to all future episodes that we have. So please subscribe to our series and please leave us a review. Uh, like all good HR professionals, we thrive on surveys and feedback so we can serve you better when we know what you need and join our Slack community. I love, I was going through the Slack community earlier this week. I love all the job postings in there. And actually, I'd love to start posting in there. You've seen me do this a few times if you follow me on LinkedIn, where I know of people looking for jobs. So if you know of great talent, post it in there because a lot of us are hiring. So feel free to post your great connections that you're not able to hire right now into that Slack channel. And as always, ask us your hard questions in there. And with that, let's go ahead and get to it, Vanessa. Welcome back to HR Unplugged. And I'm so excited to talk about onboarding with you today. Yes, thank you for having me back. I can't believe how long it's been. I've definitely missed the group. And Eleanor, shout out to you. Missed our conversations throughout all the chats and podcasts. So let's dig into our, our topic for today. How to make employee onboarding a priority. Onboarding is such an important part of HR responsibilities and the employee experience. So Anita, let's, let's set the stage. Can you give us some of the details that we don't normally talk about? Like why is onboarding so important? So I want to make sure we divide it up into three things. And we're going to talk about three things today. You onboard with your paperwork. Here's my pay. This is how you pay me. These are my benefits. So it's very administrative. Um, then there's onboarding into the organization, the company, the corporate onboarding. And the piece that looks like we're all focused on improving based on the poll is onboarding into the job itself. And this is the theme for today. We spend so much time hiring. We should spend more time onboarding. 
And that's why we're going to focus on this. So um, I posted this statistic on LinkedIn. I want to make a quick adjustment to it to get to accuracy. It should be that for employees that quit their jobs, 16% will do it in the first week and 17% will do it in the first month. And I got some good feedback. Feel free to get on LinkedIn and engage with this post. Why do we think that happens? Because it's a real bummer. I mean, we know how much it costs to market a job, to interview for a job, and to get a candidate. Yet we seem to be losing more. I was really surprised by this. You know, 23% of team members who quit their jobs say they want to clear guidelines about the responsibilities. So it looks like there's this big opportunity from what we sell and the job posting to what we're actually delivering. Um, is is off somewhere. What do you think, Vanessa? I mean, you were a recruiter for a long time. You're an excellent recruiter. What have you seen in this? Yeah, I mean, it's I think of a, an analogy of of dating. Like when you're courting a candidate and recruiting, you could be spending, like depending on the caliber of the candidate, like months or years or like even a few weeks, a few days. Like you've spent all this time courting this person. It's just like dating. You're courting. And then all of a sudden you've sent that offer of like exclusivity in the relationship. And it's like, Hey, we're going to have an exclusive relationship. And then all of a sudden you like, let's say that you said yes on both sides, you sign that offer. And then you, you as the partner, as the employee employer, you just stop talking to them and just kind of leave them alone. That's not a good partnership. That's a terrible exclusive relationship. And so, (laughs) I mean, let's be real here. (laughs) And so it's super important. If you think about that analogy, you wouldn't do that. You would want to make things work. You want to create a partnership and agreements and figure out how are we going to make this successful and, and grow together? Because if you're not growing together, you leave one of the other behind. It's so true. And that's why actually the handoff, and as a number of you are mentioning this in the chat, the handoff of the recruiter has to get them, I think, through their start date. Like, I don't know about you, Vanessa, but like, I don't ever count my chickens before they've hatched, which means until somebody shows up at the job. So like I said, Vanessa and I've got a new business partner starting on Monday. I'm super excited about her arrival. And I really want to celebrate our recruiter in this because she's busted her tail to get this amazing talent into Bamboo. But I'm like, I don't give you any celebration kudos until they show up on day one. And at that point, I still want the recruiter engaged in that first 30, 60, 90 to make sure that they still feel connection to the person that actually recruited them in. And it seems like we aren't like, I'm just thinking right now that I need to take a note and make sure that's part of my 30 day onboarding plan for Monday, actually, as I hear all the comments and hear you talk about this, Vanessa. Yeah, because that that connection is definitely needed um, to, to ask the hard questions and get realigned and uh, going back to the job specific stuff that we've been talking about and we'll dive deeper into. Definitely. So most companies tend to get corporate onboarding mostly right. I mean, let's just take a few minutes and walk walk through corporate onboarding. To me, that's really defining, okay, this is our mission. This is our strategy. This is uh, how we build product. This is how we go to market. 
This is what our customers love us for. These are the things we're going to work on in the next three to five years. This is how your job connects into it, right? It's the big vision part. Um, I also love having leaders of the business come in, you know, especially your most tenured team members coming in and talking about the early days of the organization, talking about different stories and habits that created the values of where the organization is today. You know, I think corporate onboarding can be a really special. um, I've been really focused on this book this week. Usually when I'm working, some book comes off the shelf and lands on my desk. And this is one of them. But one of the key themes in this book is building, you know, it's kind of sounds funny, but like a cult like culture. And you do want to take an opportunity to say, what is this tribe? I like the tribe word better than cult. But what is this tribe that I've joined? And what does membership look like into this tribe? And what are the, all the nuances of it? And how do I really make the most of my experience here? And especially if we're you know, hybrid or fully remote, even if we're in person, we have opportunities to really help people understand how to exist and how to thrive inside the tribe. And so, you know, I think that's an important part. And so as we move from the corporate side, is there anything you'd add to that, Vanessa? Are there any any tips in the chat that you've done in corporate onboarding that have made it really outstanding that we all need to know about? Yeah, I mean, it's you're you're making first impressions. Yes, yes, I love that. (laughs) And if you're not creating those good first impressions and powerful moments, you're missing it. You're missing the opportunity to make them feel that strong bond to the company. Like I think back to uh, when we initially went to remote and, you know, during COVID times and we had an employee who went above and beyond for uh, a new hire and drove like two hours away to drop off their onboarding box. I think because they had COVID and dropped off a box with a balloon and then drove back. They didn't have to do that, but they wanted to create such a good experience for this person. And it's things like that, thinking about the individuals coming forward and being unique. And I know we've talked about like the climate right now with hiring. I don't know if you want to speak to that a little bit more of like, you know, there there's minimal uh, types of people that we're looking for. Yeah, you know, what I have to say about the climate, which is really interesting right now, is I think, you know, we've gone from, uh, you know, over the last three years, it's just been such a pendulum of really hard to hire because, you know, people want exorbitant salaries, really hard to hire because everybody's hiring these massive rates to now we're in this downturn where there's a lot of layoffs in a number of different industries. But now I think what we're fighting against is stability. So if you have people... Um, in roles and their company is fairly stable, they are not going to want to leave right now because they don't know what they're leaving for. So I think a prime message in your corporate onboarding, and I love this, Vanessa, and I love putting this into that first impression, is stability of the organization. You made a great choice by coming here, Vanessa. You made a great choice because this is the vision that we're going to, we're growing, or maybe we're saying, hey, we're not growing, but really honing our systems and we're preparing for growth. And that's why this job is super critical. But I think being really honest, because if we go back to those statistics that people feel like they didn't 
get what they paid for. So they signed the dotted line, they showed up the job, it ends up being different than what they thought it was going to be. So how can you be transparent and onboarding by saying like, hey, here's here's our financials, here's our top line, here's our bottom line, here are our assets, this is our balance sheet, this is where, this is like, how transparent are you? I find with more transparency, you can get really far, especially if you're not a public company. I think it's really important to share metrics and how you're defining success for your organization and how you can produce a message of stability that people can go out and say, hey, I can build a really compelling career here. I have opportunities to learn and grow. And and that's important if they're going to leave a job to come to your place and really be there. And notes for all of you as heads of HR, if you don't feel like you can hire into a stable environment, I'd push back and not hire right now. There is nothing worse than bringing people in and then having something change in your organization and having to let people go. So, you know, that's something that you, like for me as an authentic person, I have to feel really good that I can bring people in because I want to make sure that they can stay there for as long as as they're performing and the business wants them to be there. I want people to stay. So, um, you know, make sure you're really attuned to the state and health of the business. Yeah. And just to kind of add to that a little bit is onboarding is more than just an HR exercise. Like you really need to have that plan in place, like kind of what you're saying, and it needs to be clear what the systems uh, every new hire will be using, what the topics are, what documentation they need. It needs to be so clear how you set them up for success um, because they'll notice if it's not. They will, they will. And they'll also sniff out bullshit. So like, seriously, don't bullshit them. And this is where like, I um, I showed this uh, post in a talk I did last September. Um, gosh, darn it. I've, I've got to find it and pull it up. But it talks about an expedition and, and they're hiring people to go on an expedition to Antarctica. And they were like, hey, you know, in this job, it's going to be really hard. The conditions are going to be sucky. The chance of living is minimal. And there's probably limited reward when you get back. And the job posting, Vanessa, I don't know if you've seen it. It was like, you know, it's super short. And I want more job postings like that. I want us to be really clear around like, these are the shit aspects of the job. And these are the great aspects of the job. Um, you know, I, you all know that I love Tim Ferriss and he did um, an episode with a coach a few, a few weeks ago. And the coach actually says that he tries to convince people not to take the job. In, the, in this interview. And once they're still so interested because they're so passionate about solving the problem, then they will sign up and then it gets really interesting because it's that level of commitment that we're looking for. And we want them to know all the good, bad and the ugly because the worst thing you can do, and this has happened to me before, I've signed up for jobs and I got into it. I'm like, why the F did you not all tell me that this was such a disaster? Right. Like, I mean, like it's it's kind of just baloney and you get pissed off as a candidate. And so think about how you can be honest and transparent with what the job is and what it's not, because then you're going to get the right person that wants to stay. And I think we've just been so afraid of speaking truth about what's happening in our organizations because we've been so hand like hand tied by the quality of talent that we can get that now we're all off base and we're misselling our propositions. Yeah, I mean, that's the worst feeling you can get. New employee coming in, you open up your, your desk drawer for the first time and there's a note that says like, hey, my name's such and such, run. You know, like, <laughs> and and going back to that exclusive partnership, you, you want to know what you're getting yourself into. And you so, do. yeah, just building that right up front. So to the point 
about employees having, you know, that positive onboarding experiences and holding their organizations in high regard from an employee perspective, if anything goes wrong in corporate onboarding, like we've been talking about, it is super noticeable and maybe their pay isn't set up correctly and they are quick to notice. And it's, it leaves a lasting impression because that's your first impression. So, but if it goes well, employees don't even notice 80% of employees who have have a positive onboarding experience continue to hold their organizations in high regard. So I'd love to get into a discussion with you, Anita, around how HR can drive better job-specific onboarding. I know this is a tough one because as HR leaders, we can only influence it. So what is your advice, Anita? How can we make sure that people we are hiring are set up for that success? Definitely. So before we get into this, I just want to call it the job posting I referenced. I found it and I shared what to Google. It's Google Ernest Shackleton job posting, and you'll find this hideous job posting, hideous in a good way, that described the the shortcomings of the job. And they had record level of applicants, by the way. So go search that story. And so how can HR drive better job-specific onboarding? Let's go deep into this because this is our number one challenge right now. So as Vanessa said, that 80% of employees who have a positive onboarding experience continue to hold their organizations in high regard. So what does this tell us? It tells us that onboarding is a hygiene factor. So everybody expects it to be great. And when you jack it up, you're going to get a big portion of your new hires that are detractors, which we do not want. Because we know in our data, and we've talked about this before, in our data, our our youngest tenured, how's that? Our, our shortest tenure, our newest team members, that's what I'm trying to say. Our newest team members are the happiest. As they go along their journey, by nature, they just get more and more unhappy. They move more to the detractor side. So if you get them as a detractor from the start, you're screwed. So you've got to make sure that you really nail um, the early 30, 60, 90 days of their onboarding. So I think one, um, there's a few things that I want you to look at. Are you hiring this role in volume? So are you, do you have a giant sales floor and you're just hiring people through? Um, we have a group of our customer success team that we always batch and we have um, kind of similar to retail work. Like during a certain time of year, we hire a batch of additional team members to come in and help us through our busy time and it's temporary work and then they go back out. Um, but with our support reps, we're always hiring a lot of them. With our implementation reps, we're hiring a lot of them. With our sales reps and our SDRs, that's a motion that at Bamboo we're in all of the time. And so our onboarding is almost best with those high volume roles. And so I want you to think about the role. Is it high volume or is it not? Will I get a number of these this year or is this a one-off role that I'm only getting one maybe every 12 to 18 months? So that's that's one. And how do you get people to value fastest? So how do you measure value? One question I love to ask hiring managers is would you enthusiastically rehire this person again in 90, 120, and 12 month increments, right? Did they deliver faster or slower than you thought they would? Was it a function of the profile or was it a function of the training, right? Because if you hired somebody with no experience that you were willing to train, right? Is that on you? Or did you mean to hire somebody that was experienced, but they just didn't deliver? But that still could be on you if you weren't clear around what they were supposed to deliver. 
So there's a lot of things in here that when you write job descriptions, I think you have to be really clear. We over make them so complex. What are the three things this job has to deliver on? And how do you measure the success? How, how many of these roles are going to, are you going to hire in for this year and crafting onboarding around that? Um, and what, what is it going to do to help increase the value and delivery of this role? How can you do that through the training that you'll get? So those are a few questions that I like to ask Vanessa. What would you add? Yeah, I think what I would want to know is like, how, how can somebody approach that? Like knowing, I knew you were kind of talking about the differences between types of roles. How could somebody approach that and break it down to say, okay, this is like the process I need to take. So one thing I love to do is I love to just say, who are the two to five people that do this job best? Or let's say you just have one person. Is the one person in this job right now really doing great? Or let's say you fired that person and you're like, why did that person fail? So always look at what the job is currently and why it's succeeding or failing is a great place to start. If it's a job you've never hired for for, before, ask the question, why is this role going to succeed or fail? Right? Call your friends and say, have you ever hired, you know, a Google Analytics person? Have you ever hired an Adobe Analytics person? What did they do to optimize your storefront? What were the what were the metrics that they looked at? How did they optimize? When I say storefront, I mean your like web page, right? How did they optimize your web page? What were the things that they managed and monitored? What type of experience did they have? Um, when did it fail? Like maybe that's something you're outsourcing now, but you want to bring it in house. So call somebody who you can ask. And if you don't know anybody, ping us and we'll introduce you to someone. That's the goodness of this network and our Slack community. So those are the things I think, Vanessa, that you can start asking to help yourself gauge this. And again, like we we need to put more intentional time in this. Hires cost us too much money and they cost too much waste to our product and our customers if we don't do it thoughtfully. Well, another thing we've talked about before, Anita, is the benefit of having somebody assigned to the new hire. Someone on the team that can help them feel comfortable and ask questions like a buddy or a mentor. So what can you share about that? So I think it's really important that the person has somebody inside their org that they can rely on to say like, hey, what's the process for this? Or where do I find the tool for this? Or who do I go to to get this answer? Somebody that's like a um, a work buddy inside the team, a peer. And then I always think it's awesome if you can partner this somebody with somebody outside your team. So think about as HR leaders, we're really, we work with finance all the time, right? So if I'm hiring Vanessa onto my team, maybe I partner her with somebody in FP&A, uh, finance planning and analysis, um, or you know, maybe I partner her with somebody in accounts payable or accounts receivable and say, hey, get to know this person over there. And they can talk to you about the corporate side of the organization, um, you know, what they did to get up to speed fast, who other people that they met, fun Slack channels to be a part of, ways uh, to get to know the people in the organization. So I like to have actually two buddies, one inside the organization that I'm joining and one outside of the organization so I can continue to increase my sphere of relationships that I have because we know that when people have good relationships inside an organization, they stay longer. I love that. And I know Holly Young, thank you so much for your comment about the onboarding kit. 
I know she had said, uh, depends on the industry, but assign a buddy, provide lunch coupons so they can invite different coworkers to lunch, paid by the company within guidelines, assign a mentor, monthly culture university, and a welcome basket to the spouse, have a desk space ready and include a welcome kit, schedule training, meet different learning styles, meet the new employee, happy hour. Uh, love that. Totally. And you know, how do you implement a system like this? I, this is where if you talk about, um, you know, our organizations may not be growing as quickly as they were a year ago. So we're looking for stretch opportunities. So you want to ask people that are already kicking ass in their job and want to do more. And it's the person that's like, I'm really doing this, but I, you know, maybe they're not ready for their next job or you frankly don't have an opening for their next job. You say, I want to give you one of the most important tasks in our organization. And that is being an ambassador for our organization by partnering with the very few new hires that we have. And your goal is to help them get to value fast and understand the awesomeness that this organization is. And I'm hand selecting you to go do this and give them like a checklist. Like here are the 10 things or ask them, hey, why don't you create a checklist? Why don't you train your next ambassador that you can have, right? So these are things that are already existing. You know, I'm a big fan of programming inside the work already. These aren't programs that sit outside of what we normally do. So this is in the normal stream of work, giving stretch opportunities, helping people build things they've never built before, influence the way they've never built before, speak the way they've never spoke before, and have them partner with you to build it. There's a there's an interesting question that came through that I'd love to get your uh, thoughts on is from Darren Bowden. Can you speak to onboarding of entry-level, mid-level, and C-suite? Yes, it's very different. It's very different. So, you know, you might have entry level as something that's a higher volume. So take the sales position or the sales development representative. You're doing a lot of those. And that should be very programmatic and very operationalized, right? You know how many leads they're supposed to get. Are they sales generated leads? Are they marketing generated leads? How are they converting? How do you understand your funnel? All of those things. So you have a program for that. As you go to a more senior leadership position, I like to have like a customized document again with like what is value and what are the things that this team member needs to know to deliver value quickly? What are the relationships they need to know? So I often like to think of like a spider web right? And who are the relationships outside the org and inside the org that they need to know first? This is how Vanessa and I built this onboarding plan that we're engaged with. And I think the more senior the role, the more time and specificity needs to put into the onboarding plan to make it really matter to that team member. And then when you do an executive, I just take that one step further and really talk again, like the hiring manager needs to own it. So I asked the hiring manager a lot of questions, like what would be most valuable for you in this role? What are the relationships that they need to have? What customers do they get to know? Do they need to do product demonstrations? One thing I love doing for all team members from entry level to senior to, you know, CEO or at highest level possible, have them go on customer meetings, have them listen to product demos, have them do ride-alongs, physical or virtual, or, you know, however you do it, have them get to know the product and customer Everybody in every organization will benefit from that. Thank you. I love that. So I want to I talk about other ways HR can help managers and other departments be successful in job onboarding. So Anita, I know you have some critical questions that should be answered and given to each new hire. Can you walk us through those? Yes. 
Um, what is the job you're hiring the new hire for? How do they do their job? I actually don't know that we know this question down to the Nats ass. And I think we should. Um, if you can't, as a hiring manager, really understand what you're hiring for, I would question if you really need the role. Um, and it's especially interesting if this is a role you've never hired before. So I think there's good thought that can come out of the question. Who is there to help them do their job? Again, and like a, uh, if you think of, we often think of a pyramid where the leader is responsible for helping. Who are the peers? Who are the diagonal influencers of the job? You know, who are the people that the job and the decisions of the job influence? One of the ways, I, uh, another question is, what are the key decisions that this job will own? I love that question because that actually helps me understand what level the job is, right? How senior, how entry level the job is. What are the outcomes of the job? How are they measured? Where should the employee go to get help if they need it? So, and then again, if you're leading people, the biggest question I always ask people is, why do you like to lead people? Why? Especially if they've never done it before. And I like to have a more robust process around, here's the technical aspects of the job. How are you going to demonstrate our values and do a very value-based interviewing question for all team members, but especially for leaders of others? Yeah. And when you get that detailed, then they can come in and know exactly how to be successful. And there's there's a difference between somebody who is like you're needing to help pull along further into the job because they're not as experienced versus, oh, we're building from scratch. You need a builder and somebody with extreme knowledge. So what does that mean? What is that experience and how is it different uh, between the two? And you have to think through that. You do. You do. And if you, again, if you aren't doing a lot of hiring, I would say the if you're doing little hiring, the more time you need to spend on this process, right? Because you get out of practice really quickly. I actually love, Vanessa, like a certification um, for leaders to go through when they're hiring. And actually, it's making me think, Vanessa, we need almost a certification around how to be effective onboarder. Um, and if you haven't hired somebody in six months, you should go through and get certified on this. And that's why our definitive guide to onboarding is so useful because it can just get you up to speed really quickly on the things that can help you be more effective. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because as soon as your organization gets so large, it's hard to remain consistent if you don't have something like that in place. Definitely, definitely. Well, as we wrap up the conversation, is there anything else we should cover on how we can onboard how we can onboard a priority and make it better for us and new hires. Yeah, I mean, I think a big piece is that onboarding should be a standard process for every team member. The other thing I want to make sure I call out is that it's even equally as important when you hire somebody from the inside. So think about the times you move somebody inside your organization from one role to another role, and they're like, well, you've already been here. You don't need to onboard them. And I would say baloney. You need to have onboarding anytime you're bringing somebody from the outside or from the inside. So, you know, a standard onboarding process helps new hires feel welcomed and supported. When employees have a standard onboarding process, their productivity can increase as much as 50%. So we're only helping our, our customers by onboarding effectively. And employees who receive benefits um, training fully utilize their benefits. 70% use their benefits fully. 
So again, if you're going to pay for benefits, you're differentiating your benefits like many of us have over the last three years, make sure you're not leaving that out of your corporate onboarding because oftentimes that helps you save money into your plans and helps your team members and their loved ones be more effective at the tools that they're using. So I think there's a lot that we could do there that, that would really upgrade the experience for you as the hiring manager and for the team member. Yeah, here's another analogy for you. Yes. <laughs> It's it's like being a new kid. You're going in and sometimes when when you've been in the company for a long time, you forget what it's like for somebody else to walk in. Yes. My experience coming into Bamboo 6 years ago is going to be completely different than the experience for somebody walking in today. And and thinking through that and saying, "Okay, what are the things that I naturally know and is organic because I've been experiencing the culture, I've experienced the people, I know the product." What did they not know? And maybe, and and think through that because then that kind of expands the variety of things to, to help this person get acclimated quicker. Yeah. Yeah. It's so important. And, you know, like um, Pat Lencioni says, you can communicate, you can over communicate. I actually love taking people, you know, through their 30, 60, 90, and let's say they get to that six month mark, have them go back where they can go back and join onboarding sessions that maybe, you know, you've got to be careful how quickly you give them all this information. We didn't talk about time and cadence, Vanessa, but I often think sometimes we like, you know, shove so much into a new hire in the first two days or five days or two weeks. And your brain isn't built to assimilate information like this, right? You lose interest in like the first 30 to 45 minutes. That's why all podcasts are between 30 and 45 minutes, right? Our brain is done at that point. So think about how do you do onboarding in bits and jits? How do you use some version of live and some version of recorded, some version of scheduled and some asynchronous, right? Like in our plan, we've got for our team member that's starting Monday, we have trainings that she can do on our own. We have one-on-ones. We have group sessions. We have, you know, all, she's she's remote, lives in Seattle, so she's not here in Utah. So it's all virtual, but we've got a trip planned for her to come in. You know, so it's it's a wide variety of things. And we're, we're, we're exploring and trying new things we haven't done before. So, you know, always look at it and continue to evolve it. And are you getting feedback? right? Are you going through or now putting in surveys in place for the team member and saying, did you get everything you needed to deliver value? And for the hiring manager, do you feel like you got value? And then that way you can take that and evolve both processes. Mm -hmm. Exactly. It definitely hurts the experience when you don't have that variety. And if if it can be really easy and sometimes those uh, like uh, entry-level roles, like with sales and customer service. And it's just rounds. You've got different classes that come through maybe in your company and you just want to have videos and you have like a whole video series every single day, but how can our brains can't process the information if we're not going to have people contact, like you have to have that variety. You have to, you have to. Um, and we, you know, we probably need to do a follow-up just on our, how our brains assimilate information because a lot of this just isn't built for assimilation in a way that we can actually produce based off of it. Yeah. Well, what are the kind of the, the takeaways or calls to action that we should let the audience know? Okay, look, if you've got a new hire starting on Monday and you haven't built the plan, let's build the plan. Um, so let's think about this. What's the cadence of the job? Are you hiring this role over and over again? You know, so know that is how like that's a qualifier for how you build the plan. Um, 
How do you handle corporate onboarding? Are there any upgrades you need to that? How long is corporate onboarding? What are the outcomes of corporate onboarding? What do you want to make sure they have to learn? And how is the best way for them to learn it? So look at it in that way. So how much of this role are you doing? How much is corporate onboarding going to contribute to it? How long should job-specific onboarding be? And how do you have that set up? Does it go over the course of the year? Does it go over the course of the month? What works best? How much of it is them doing it, right? We don't think about the ways people learn. There's three ways, right? Kinesthetic, visual, and auditory. I learn nothing unless I do it myself. You know, do you ask your new hire, how do they learn best and how could they be best at contributing to this job? Think about that when you build that onboarding for the job specifically. Make sure you have an ambassador. I'm going to steal that word. Thank you. Or a buddy, somebody in your organization that can help them assimilate, that they can ask questions to outside of the reporting structure. And make sure you start to standardize it and survey it and manage and measure it so you can improve it as you're going through. What else would you add, Vanessa? No, I think this is a great conversation. And I I love that you said in the beginning of just like, hey, if you've got somebody coming in on Monday, build a plan. And just get, as you think about it as that exclusive partnership that we've been talking about, I kind of brought it up a couple of times. I don't know why I'm just so set on that. But um, as you're thinking about that, you know, really think about the human and their experience and uh, what, how they're going to be on their journey through this. And are you there for the ride with them? Are you kind of saying, hey, bye. Uh, And so just something more to think about. But I love this conversation. Before we wrap up, let's open up the conversation to the audience. Uh, I know there's been some questions throughout, but I'd love for anybody to drop any questions that they've got now since we have a few minutes. Yeah, it says one thing we struggle with with onboarding is transferring that learned experience. Say working with a client and understand the impact of an event that happened three years ago. Just having that context can help them do a better job. But there's no way you can pack all that historical context into an onboarding plan. So I would push, yes, you can push that historical context into an onboarding plan. And I would counter, like I'd put it together as historical context. And like maybe we even plot Vanessa, our template into the HR heroes, the one that we've been working on. And for example, like our team just did a great training. We took one of our our team members that's best at understanding objectives and key results. And he delivered a training for our entire team. And Vanessa and I were thinking, hey, that's a great onboarding tool. Everybody that joins our team should look at that. And so we've actually re-recorded that session and we dropped it into the new hire training. And I would put in there like, what is historical context that's useful useful for this person to know? And I built that in, 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 you know, 60 days or 90 days, once they kind of get the basics under their belt, definitely add that in and then make sure you're capturing it. You could videotape that recording and you could have that in there, the things you need to know of history that make a difference. Yeah. Well, Julie Anderson had a really great question. She says, I do, emphasis on I do, (laughs) have somebody starting on Monday. How do I convince the supervisors they need to be active participants in the onboarding process? Okay. So Julie, you can't convince anyone to do anything. We can talk more about that. The bigger thing is going to the leader and saying, do you feel like this person is set up for success? Yes, I do. Great. What have you done to set them up for success? How are you going to measure it? Who are other people that could help them with their success? Why did the last person not succeed in this role? If you've never hired this role before, what do you think success looks like in 90 days for this position? Just go in and get really curious and start asking them questions and they'll talk themselves into it. 
So don't feel like you've got to convince. Start with like, I'm here to partner with you and make sure that every we, every hire we have, we're going to make it count. Because what happens, this is this is usually the, the pull, is what happens if you um, don't make this hire successful and you don't get a backfill? So how do we make sure that we get this person to really, really deliver so that you have and go to their pain? Do they feel burnt out? Do they feel like they not have enough help? Why did they bring them in? When we make this person successful, it's going to help you. You've got to figure out what's in it for them and speak to that piece. Uh, We got another question from, uh, and I apologize if I don't say your name correctly, Naleli Rangel. I recruit for, I recruit to hire about 90 plus people a year. Uh, and I, I think she does onboarding. I review mission goals, what part they play, where I feel like I lose interest is in the policy renewal process. How can I keep their attention? So part of it is, you know, I always like to do policies um, where they sign it and then you do like, um, hey, read this policy and come back with questions. Right. So you're not kind of line by lining the policy. And so something because like I just had a situation with a team member that asked if they could accept large gifts from customers. And it was actually the leader that was like, we don't have a policy around that. I'm like, oh, yes, we do. It's in the code of conduct. So instead of going through line by line of the code of conduct and new hire orientation, I like to go in and say, hey, if you receive a large gift from a customer, um, what's the size and can you keep it? Who should you talk to about that? So maybe put it into a question answer format where you kind of say, what happens if um, you are asked to do a side hustle? You know, does that fall in or out of any of our policies anymore? What happens if you get asked to do a side hustle from a competitor? What happens if they're not a competitor? What happens, you know, there's a variety. What happens if you want to move states? Are you allowed to move states? Are we open in all 50 states? Are we not all open in all 50 states? What's the impact? Who would you talk to? So put it even you could put them into small groups and do some question and answers. So take it around the things that you see the biggest opportunity to drive clarity in and um, make it a game, make it a competition. Everybody usually responds well to those things. I love that. We got a, a, a question from Marcy Walquist. Hiring is handled by different managers who are all doing things their own way. How can I create consistency in the onboarding process and involve others, mainly me, in the process? We no longer have an HR department, so it's hard to bring everyone in on a process like this. What advice would you have for, for Marcy? It's a great question. You're not alone out there. You have this whole HR community behind you. So please don't feel alone. We're all in it with you. And so one thing I would say is get them all in a room and say, hey, how is hiring working for you? How have your last new hires gone? Would Would you enthusiastically rehire them? What do you think we could do in our hiring and onboarding process to make our hires more effective? And have a group conversation. And like, well, we could standardize. We could do this. We could do that. Great. If we did that together, would you all be game and participating in that? Yes or no? What would get you to participate in a standardized um, hiring process? What would get you to be more engaged in our onboarding process? What would it need to deliver to you to make it something that you would want to participate in? So again, get them to be part of the solution. You don't have to put it on your shoulders because this is where you're a partner to the business and you're asking them what would work for them and what would drive value for them. Love that. Well, I'm going to end with this last final question from Valerie. Any tips on how to improve retention with onboarding? Well, I really would say let's get specific about the role. 
Let's make sure we know the three things the role has to deliver and make sure we do those things in onboarding, right? So if this role is to retain customers, what does it look like to retain customers? They have to know the product, they have to know the customer, and they have to know the biggest issues why somebody would churn out. And so that's what we build onboarding off of. And that's what we measure too. So keep it simple and keep trying and working in there and keep improving. And you all will, will, will be better. That's all we're doing is we're better one click at a time, one day at a time. So so don't overthink it and just keep progressing. And you know, we have are all behind you in it. So thanks for all the awesome work you're doing out there. All right. Well, thanks, Vanessa. Thanks for all these questions. Anything that you would say, um, you know, in finale to all these great comments and questions? I love the interaction in the chat. Yeah, the interaction has been fun uh, seeing all these questions come through. And I think just just keep remembering how important it is with onboarding. I want to just reiterate what you just said, Anita, um, that the onboarding experience is definitely going to help with your retention process um, of, of maintaining re retaining top talent. It's really going to be dependent on one of the factors, which is onboarding and really making that lasting first impression. Uh, somebody's career at a company is built on strings that build into a rope and you're building the first strings in the very beginning. So make sure you do that at the get go so that the rope builds faster. Absolutely. That's a great way to think about it. It's all of us putting our ropes together and our strings together to make something stronger in our organization. So thank you for joining us. We'll be back at the same time on April 11th for the next episode. And we'll be talking about how people analytics can help you build to be a strategic business partner. We invite you to visit us at hrunplug.com. You can sign up and make sure you subscribe to the series. And please also feel free to give us feedback on how we can be better or different from you. Uh, for you. We always love learning and you can always view the latest episodes and series on demand in the podcast format. Please subscribe and leave us a review. There will be a short survey right here. So please share your feedback and we look forward to seeing you again on April 11th. Thanks, Vanessa. Thanks, everybody. Lots of love. Thank you. Thanks for joining us for HR Unplugged. This series is brought to you by Bambi HR. Visit us at bambuhr.com slash hr-unplugged for video versions of the podcast, additional resources, and to learn more about how Bambi HR sets people free to do great work. 